You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of our Adult Sunday School series. Adult Sunday School is taught by a variety of different men in our church. Now let's prepare our hearts as our Sunday School teacher brings forth God's truths from His Word today. All right, go ahead and take your Bible and turn to the first chapter of Colossians. Not first Colossians, like I said last time. <laughs> the first chapter of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be, we, are, we started a study in um, Colossians chapter 1 a couple weeks ago. And we're going to continue in that study today. So Colossians chapter 1, it's going to be a minute before we read the next verse. We made it through the first two verses, but we are going to just go across the four points that we talked about yesterday, or Two weeks ago. Definitely not yesterday. It was two weeks ago. Uh, so, I mean, I, Isaac told me last week, he's like, man, you really lucked out this month on teaching Sunday school because there's five weeks in this month and I've only taught two of them because we had so many special speakers. It's been a busy month for special speakers. So, But praise the Lord, I got two weeks and hopefully you'll be blessed today. So, last week we talked about in verses... Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, we talked about four different points. And those points were we looked at what is our profession, and that was to do the will of God. Second, we looked at, looked at the brotherhood of the believers, and we saw that the brotherhood of the believers is a special brotherhood because it is Christ that binds and connects all of us together. We looked at spiritual maturity and how that no matter what church you're in, there's differing levels of spiritual maturity. No matter where you are, there's always room for improvement on our spiritual maturity in our own lives. And then the, four, the last thing that we looked at, and we're going to continue with this point. We only got to the first half of this last week. We're going to continue with this this week. We looked at Paul's greeting that he used in every one of his New Testament letters except the book of Hebrews. And this greeting was, to all of the churches that he wrote to, this greeting was, Grace be unto you and peace. Grace be unto you in peace. And I think out of everything that we talked on, that is the most interesting. I've ne- I'd never seen that before, that that was in every one of his letters. That was very interesting to me. We talked about how, talked about how in this short greeting, Paul covers both our greatest need and our greatest desire. Our greatest need and our greatest desire in this greeting. We saw that our greatest need is God's grace. That is our greatest need. We saw that our greatest need is God's grace, and without God's saving grace, we would obviously be lost and dead in our sins, and we would be destined for an eternity in the lake of fire. Without God's grace, that's where we would be headed. No chance to escape. We saw that God's grace is what saves us from our very much deserved punishment of our sin. And then, and then we said at the end of that, praise the Lord for his grace. Where would we be without God's grace? We would be in trouble. All right, and that brings us to today, week number two. But before we get started, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Our dearest Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for this opportunity to open up your word and just get the truths that are out of Get the truths out of it that are in there. We know that your word is bottomless with truths, Lord. And we could read the same verse several times and still get more out of it. And we're just so thankful, Lord, that your word carries so much truth. That I pray that you would teach us something today that will help us in our lives to be more faithful, better Christians, better followers of Christ, Lord. Be with my words. Help them to be your words. My thoughts to be your thoughts, Father. And we'll just give this whole hour to you and pray this in your precious and holy name. Amen. 
Okay, today we are going to pick up with the second part of Paul's greeting, as I said, which is our greatest desire. So, so Paul's greeting covered our greatest need and our greatest desire. Our greatest need, God's grace. Our greatest desire is to have peace. That is our greatest desire. So my first point today is our greatest desire is peace. Let's look at Colossians 1, verse 2. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So our greatest need is God's grace, and I think that we would all have to agree that our greatest desire is to have peace in this life. Our greatest desire is to have peace. If we are at peace, then we are content. And content is being calm and happy in our present state. Now, how many people does that represent today? Not very many. That's a very few number of people today, being calm and happy in their present state. As believers, we know that that peace can only come through Christ and nothing that the world offers. We know that. The world cannot offer us that peace. People try to accumulate that peace and that happiness by things and material possessions. And, you know, we often pin that on the world for doing that, for trying to become happy and have that peace and joy through worldly possessions. But we are almost just as guilty as, of that as, as Christians. We do the exact same thing. We try to accumulate wealth and try to accumulate possessions and riches and things of this world and possessions to make us happy and make us peaceful. We think that's what's going to help us be fulfilled. But God said, no, that can't do it for you. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding. We have often heard, I want to look at that all understanding there for a minute. The peace of God which passeth all understanding. You know, we've heard testimonies of people who have gone through fiery trials and even in the midst of those fiery trials, they still have what? peace. They still have peace in the midst of those fiery trials. You know, a lot of us have even experienced that ourselves as we've gone through trials. A lot, some of us a lot more fiery than others, but we've all been through trials in our life to some extent or another. And we have, we have, if we've given that to God, we have experienced the peace that comes even in the midst of that storm. The peace that only God can give. You know, a lot of times, I've heard testimonies. I don't know that this has ever been the case in my life that I've ever gone through a fiery enough trial that it's been super open and apparent to everybody that people can see it from without as a big deal. But a lot of people have gone through those trials. A lot of Christians have where it's a very open trial where everyone can see how hard their life is and how hard that thing is that they're going through. And those people are still able to remain joyful, content, and calm during that trial. And unbelievers often look at that in just awe and amazement, being like, you know, because if that were to happen to an unbeliever, they would be, they would be getting angry, they would be getting bitter, and Christians do this as well. But Christians that respond the correct way, they can still have peace and joy even in the midst of a trial. So they give that to God, and oftentimes it's a great testimony to unbelievers. They look at those lives and be like, wow, how can you do that? How can you remain calm and peaceful even in the midst of this, even in the midst of this super hard time? Well, what's the answer? It's God. Obviously, that it's only a supernatural work of God that God can do. And we all desire to have that peace. Trusting and knowing God never has and never... Trusting and knowing that God never has and never will make a mistake is why we can have peace. 
trusting and knowing that his way always has and always will be best for our lives. That is how we have the peace that passeth all understanding. We truly give it to God, and in turn, he gives us true peace. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. True peace only comes through Christ. True peace only comes. True peace is to be assured. It's to be confident and secure in the love and care that God has for all of us. It is to know that he will provide for us, guide us, strengthen us, sustain us, deliver us, encourage us, save us, and give us life. And not just life here on earth, but most importantly, eternal life. That is how we can have peace, even in the midst of our storms. This is, why we be, this is why we can have peace as believers, no matter what situation or circumstance we're going through. Paul starts off his letter with our, Paul starts off his greeting with our greatest need and our greatest desire. And then he goes on to say later in that verse, as we've already talked about how those can be met. Later in that same verse, verse 2, at the very end, it says, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he gives us our greatest need, our greatest desire, and then he says, listen, it's only through God our Father, Jesus Christ, that these two things can be met. Our greatest desire of peace will never be met until we allow God to first meet our greatest need. We first have to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Can you ever have, can the world, the unbelievers of this world, you before you were saved, did you ever have that peace in your heart? No. Was it even, were you even capable of having that peace in your heart before you were born again? No, you couldn't. Because God's Holy Spirit was not living inside of you. And he's the one and the only one that can give you that peace. So first, you have to allow God to meet your greatest need, which is your salvation. And then he can meet your greatest desire. All right, that moves us into verse 3 through 5. We're going to go to verse 3 through 5 now. And we're going to look at these verses together because they're too closely connected to break these apart. And you'll see what I mean. So let's look at verse 3 through 5. And it says, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. What was Paul giving thanks to God for? Giving thanks to God for? Well, verse 4 through 5 tells us, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all saints for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, wherefore ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. So three things there that Paul is giving thanks for. First, the, the faith in Jesus Christ, love which ye have to all saints, the love which the Corinthians had to all saints, or the Colossians, excuse me, had to all saints, and then hope, the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. These are three things that Paul was giving thanks for. But before we get into those three things, I want to look at this phrase that he uses in verse 3 where he says, praying always for you. Praying always for you. We talked shortly last week about the power that there is in prayer, and we're going to touch on that more today. I, I, I had only planned on doing a short segment on this thing in prayer, but as I was developing this point, the Lord just kept developing it more and more and giving me more. So I trust that this is from the Lord, this, what we have here today on prayer. So we talked shortly about the power of prayer last week. We're going to talk more about that today. As we know, the power behind our prayer has nothing to do with us and everything to do with the Lord. 
the more that we understand that we can't control anything, that we can't do anything apart from God, the more effective that our prayers can be. If we come to God with that attitude of, God, I can't do it, only you can, our prayers will be much more effective, and we will see our prayers answered more. 2 Corinthians 12.10 says, For when I am weak, then I am strong. We, we must understand that in and of ourselves, we are weak and can do nothing apart from Christ. Once we get ourselves out of the way, then we leave enough room for Christ to come in and fill us and use us. John 15, 5 says, for without me, you can do nothing. We must understand that without God, we can do nothing. It's a verse that we all know, but something we rarely practice in our lives. In a lot of areas of our life, that verse is not present. That verse does not define what we do and who we are. For without me, you can do nothing. This is the attitude that we must have when we go to God in prayer. Many times when we go to God in prayer asking for his direction, it is really just a formality because we already have a preconceived decision in our mind of what we want God to say. We already have a preconceived answer in our mind of what we want God to say. We're just going to God because that's what we've been taught to do. We don't want, I mean, after all, we're good Christians, right? Every time we have something, we pray about it. But we pray about it already knowing what we want God to say back for our answer. We must have, <clears throat> this is the whole reason we go to God, okay? We go to God because he knows what's best for our life we don't, right? So we have those preconceived notions, but God knows what's best for our life. We don't. This is why we need to be very careful when we, when we come to God in prayer, to be ready for whatever his answer is. When it comes to different things that we pray for and the different needs that we desire and ask of God, praise the Lord, our prayers are not contingent upon what seems logical. What do I mean when I say that? Our prayers are not contingent upon what seems logical. Well, there's a lot of things that we pray for that aren't necessarily logical, are they? They're not logical in the world's eyes, but we don't serve a God that lives in the realm of logic. We serve a God that lives in the realm of impossible answers to our prayer. That's why we can go to God with prayer anything, anytime, no matter how impossible it is, because we serve a God of the impossible. Here's just a few examples of scripture of God doing the impossible. So was it logical for Sarah, Abraham's wife, to have a baby at 90 years old? Was that logical? <laughs> Absolutely not. But with God, it was possible. Was it logical for the entire Red Sea to be split into two parts and the children of Israel to cross on dry ground. Is that logical? No, that's not logical. That don't make no sense. That defies science big time, right? That's not logical, but with God, it's possible. Was it logical for God to provide manna from heaven to feed the nation of Israel every day and water from a rock to quench their thirst? No, that's not logical, but with God, it was possible. What about the walls of Jericho that came tumbling down without the children of Israel having to lift a finger? What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace and not even having a hair of their head singed? Pastor preached on that a few weeks ago. 
I love this guy. He's got a great name. Daniel and the lion's den. Love that story. Daniel in the lion's den, Jonah in the belly of the whale, the virgin birth, Jesus calming the sea, Jesus walking on water, Jesus feeding the 5,000, causing the deaf to hear, the dumb to speak, and the lame to walk. Jesus raising the dead to life. And the most amazing miracle of all, Jesus raising himself from the dead, proving that he was the Son of God. Is any of this logical? No, it's not. None of this is logical. None of, all this goes outside of human reasoning. All these answers do. But we don't serve the God of the logical. We serve a God of the impossible. And I mean, these are just, this isn't even scratching the surface of all the stories in the Bible. I mean, I did a search on all the different miracles in the Bible. And obviously, I mean, there's hundreds. Just do a search on that sometimes and just read all the miracles that God did in the Bible. Just one right after another. It's just amazing. We serve a God of the impossible. It is so awesome. Praise the Lord for his impossible answers to our impossible prayers. First of all, the fact that any, of, any one of us is sitting in here today listening to me, I mean, that's a miracle. That's impossible. The fact that God saves any of us is impossible, isn't it? That's an impossible thing for God to save us. Or it's, not, it's an unlogical, excuse me, don't get my words messed around here. I don't want to preach false doctrine. It is unlogical for God to save us. None of us are deserving of God's grace. But with him, it is possible. With the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, it was possible. How far can our prayers reach? When it comes to how far our prayers can reach, there is no limit. God is omniscient and omnipresent. He knows all things and he sees all things. God will surely take care of things on, on his end if we just come to him in faith, believing. 1 John 5.14 says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, don't leave that part out, that's the most important. According to his will, he heareth us. Paul understood the widespread power of prayer, and he used it. He used it. Paul was obviously not omnipotent, omnipresent, and he couldn't be in all churches at the same time, obviously, so he did what he could, which was write letters to help instruct them in righteousness, and he prayed for them. He prayed for them. You know, as far as I can tell, here in Colossians is the only place where it says, where Paul said to a church, praying always for you, praying always for you. So it seems by Paul saying that, that for some reason or another, he had a special burden for this church in Colossae. He had a special burden for the church at Colossians because he said, I am praying always for you. Now, I don't know why Paul had this special burden. Um, Paul was never able to visit this church personally, so maybe that's why, because he wasn't able to see their spiritual state with his own personal eyes. He was only getting it secondhand. So maybe he was just a little bit more concerned about them, felt since he couldn't visit them in person, he needed to pray a little bit more for them. I don't know what it was. But all I know is Paul, it seems like he had a special burden for this church because he said, praying always for you. Now, we know how that is ourselves. We get special burdens, don't we? We all have, I think we've all felt a burden for someone or something that we prayed for once, one time or another. I mean, when we have our prayer time in the morning with the Lord, there's usually a few things that we pray every day for, isn't there? And then there's those other things that we are hit and miss on, you know, those things that we only pray for once in a great while, but there's those things that we pray for every day that we have more of a burden for. A lot of times, it's ourself, <laughs> which I don't know how biblical that is, but a lot of times we pray for ourselves more than anything else. 
We definitely have a burden for ourselves. We need to get more of a burden for other people, amen? But we all have those burdens and those things that we pray for more than others. <clears throat> Sometimes those burdens are just because um, we know a person personally. All right, or because we have a more of a personal connection to that person or a certain situation or circumstance. Sometimes God just gives us a burden for, pe for people or someone that we've never even met. Have you ever had that happen where, you, where God just gave you a burden to pray for someone? You've never met that person. You don't have a personal relationship with them, but, but the Holy Spirit just puts that burden inside your heart and you, you pray for that person continually and constantly. Yes, we've all had those burdens. I'm trying to skip part of what I'm doing here, because this is taking way longer than I thought, so bear with me. Many of us do not have the means by which to meet the needs of people around us, but God does. A lot of times we feel sympathy in our part and we want to help people, whether it's emotionally, physically, or spiritually, but sometimes we're just not capable of meeting those needs. Well, God is capable of meeting all those needs all the time. So even if we can't meet the need of a specific individual, we can pray for them. And oh, how we should do that. God calls us to do that. He calls us to pray for them. I often think to myself, wouldn't it be a shame if God didn't answer our prayer request in my own personal life or someone else's life just because my neglect to pray for it just because i didn't pray for it god was like i'm here i'm ready to meet it just ask me but we don't ask him so he doesn't meet the need he's because he says in the bible hey listen if you come to me i will answer i will a I, I i will answer your i will answer and meet your needs if you come to me according to my perfect will but then sometimes we're just like man i hope god meets that need but we never even ask him it's crazy I do that all the time in my life. I'm just like, well, I hope this works out. I hope this works out. And then later I think to myself, oh my goodness, I never even brought that before the Lord and asked him to work that out in my life. How foolish. Why would I ever think that God would answer that if I don't even ask him to answer it? We all do that. I mean, we all do that. I, I, I don't know if God will show us all the prayers we, he didn't answer when we get to heaven just because we didn't ask him. But if he does, I think we're going to be embarrassed and very ashamed at that. Most times, the prayers that we pray require effectual, fervent, steadfast prayer, just like the widow and the unjust judge. And here's the last couple verses of that story of the widow and the unjust judge. Yet because this widow troubleth me, this is the judge, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, hear what the judge saith, and, and shall God not avenge his own elect? which cry day and night continually. That is continual, steadfast prayer. God will sometimes answer our flare prayers, but he will always answer our faithful prayers. Now, I kind of said this a little bit earlier. God doesn't always answer our prayers in the exact way that we want him to answer our prayers, but he always will answer our prayers. Not always in the way that we want him to, but he always will. I, I, I believe, I firmly believe that there are times when God has answered our prayer and we've completely missed the answer because it wasn't what we thought it was going to be. God is trying to bless us and help us in this specific area, but we've already got our focus and mindset on, okay, God needs to answer my prayer. This is how he's going to do it. I'll be ready when it comes. 
But then God wants to answer that prayer in a completely different way. But since we're not being sensitive to the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit, we completely miss that. And we completely miss out on God's plan for our life in that area because we've already decided what we want God's answer to be. We need to be careful that we're being filled and led by the Holy Spirit and staying in his word and staying in prayer so that when we see that opportunity to arise, even if it's different than what we thought, that we can be sensitive to follow and obey the Lord in that area, whatever it is. I want us all to ask ourselves, are we limiting God through our lack of prayer? I know that I am. Many times in my life, my lack of prayer, I'm limiting God. I just said a minute ago, there's some things that I, I don't even bring to the Lord. Even You know, sometimes... We think some things are just small things, so we don't really need to bring them to God. But nothing is too small to bring before God. He wants us to bring everything before him. And a lot of times, those things that seem small and those small details of our life that don't seem like no big deal end up being a big deal. And we, 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 we end up regretting not bringing it to God and making the right decision in that. Every decision is a big deal. We are to bring everything before the Lord. Ephesians 6, 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, watching thereto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We are to be praying always in the spirit, in the spirit. That is so key to be praying in the spirit so that we can be sensitive, as I said, to the Lord's leading. Praying in the spirit with perseverance, persevering in prayer. There's many times that I think God is just just around the corner from answering our prayers. But what do we do? We give up on that prayer because we're not persevering. We say, oh, God did not answer that prayer in the time limit that I was expecting him to or in the time limit that I'm comfortable with. So we stop praying for it. We rush ahead of God and God can never answer that prayer. Let's be careful never to rush ahead of God in our prayers. And second of all, to wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. His timing is perfect always. All right, the, the, the third point today that I want to look at is in verse 3 through 5. And it is faith in Christ and love to all saints. Faith in Christ and love to all saints. So let's read Colossians 1, 3 through 5 again. It says, We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love ye have to all saints for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven wherefore ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel so paul was giving thanks for the for the colossians faith in christ and the love which the corinthian church was or the colossian church was showing towards all saints these two things faith in christ and love towards all saints are foundational pillars that we are to build our Christian life upon. These are foundational pillars. We've got to get these two things down. If we can't get these two things down, almost every other area of our life is going to fall apart. Let's look first at faith in Christ. Hebrews eleven six says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That he is. It says that God is. Well, what is that talking about? That God is what? must believe that God is. You must believe that God is the I am that I am, as he said to Moses. He is the great Jehovah God. When we come to God, we must believe that he is God and that he is capable of whatever we're asking him for and much more. The second one was love towards all saints. Corinthians 
13.2 says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity or love, I am nothing. These great two pillars, faith in Christ and love towards all saints, are two basic but yet foundational pillars of the Christian life. John mentions a commandment that God gives in John 3.23, mentioning both of these. And that is, John 3.23 says, And this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of the Son of Christ. That's faith in Christ. Believe on the name of the Son of Christ. And love one another And as he gave us commandment. Jesus commanded us to do both of these things that Paul's mentioning here. Faith in Christ, love towards all saints. Let's look the great, let's continue to look at the great pillar of faith in Christ. When Paul mentions faith in Christ in this verse, he is talking specifically about faith in Christ as our Savior. Faith in Christ as our Savior. The world today continually promotes faith in self. Isn't that right? They continually promote faith in self. We've all heard the phrase, just believe in yourself, right? Just believe in yourself. The world is promoting faith in self. The doctrine of humanism is rampant throughout our country and throughout our world today. More than I believe it's ever been before. Not once in scripture will we find Jesus telling us to believe in ourselves. Not once. No. What does Jesus say? John eleven twenty five through 26 says, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Not believe in yourself, believe in me. Believe in me. The great pillars of faith, the great pillar of faith, in a, this great pillar of faith is in a particular person. And that person is Jesus Christ. What it is... What is it about Jesus Christ that makes faith in him so superior to faith in something else? What is it about Jesus Christ that makes faith superior in him? Stated as simply as possible, Jesus Christ brings us into a personal relationship with our Father. Faith in Jesus Christ brings us into a personal relationship with our Father. He brings us into a father and daughter relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is able to bring any person who is spiritually fatherless to God. Jesus Christ makes the father and son relationship possible by bridging the gap between us and God. Actually, in our text, in uh, verse 21 of 1 Colossians, it says, we were alienated and enemies of God. That's where we were before Jesus Christ. Before our faith in Jesus Christ, we were enemies of God. Through the pillar of faith in Christ, he turned that enemy relationship between us and God into a father and son relationship. Praise the Lord. The point is this. Faith in Christ Jesus assures a person of God's wonderful presence and blessing. It means that God looks after the believer as a father looks after a child. Aren't you so thankful that God looks after you and that he has your best interests in mind? all the time. That is what Jesus, that's what faith in Jesus did for us. It means that God helps and directs the believer through the trials and temptations of life. It means that the believer has a very, 
has the very strength of God at his disposal to face trials and temptations of everyday life. It means that the believer has the assurance of living with God forever. Praise the Lord. We're going to finish with this one, the great pillar of love towards all saints. So the great pillar of love towards all saints. This is that second pillar that Paul mentions here. The love the apostle is talking about here is not the love that we have towards humanity as a whole, although we know that we are supposed to love humanity as a whole. Jesus Christ tells that, right? Jesus Christ tells us to love all men, even as Christ loved us. John 13, John 13 34 tells us that. The love Paul is talking about here is the love that a believer holds one for another. Now, we're not going to spend a long time on this because we talked a bit about this last week when we talked about the brotherhood of the believer. But something I do want us to see here is that even though the believer possesses a is supposed to possess a great love for all men, we possess a very special and unique love for each other that God has put inside of our hearts. Why is this the case? Because love for our fellow believer is directly connected through the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit in you and I have the Holy Spirit in me, we're going to naturally be drawn together and connected to each other. Because we have the Holy Spirit, because we have committed ourselves to follow the same Lord, because we live and move in the faith of the same Christ. God designed believers to have a special love for each other, and when we are operating inside of God's design as believers, we can channel that love for each other to work together to accomplish great things for Christ. Now, that is how God designed it. That is how God wants it, wants it to operate. That's when we are going to be the most efficient and effective for reaching this world for Christ is when we are working together. And I believe I, said, I, believe I mentioned this last week, but Satan knows that. Satan knows that we are stronger together than we are apart, right? He knows that. God says, don't be unequally yoked. And Satan knows that if he can get believers in a church unequally yoked, that they can't accomplish anything for Christ if they're fighting amongst themselves, right? Because that's all they're concerned about is proving who's right and who's wrong. No, God says, come together in unity, right? Together in unity and in love, that special love that I've given you to have for one another. And that's when you'll be able to accomplish the most for Christ. Satan knows this, so he is constantly trying to get us out of the will of God and out of fellowship with each other, not just God, but each other, and, and create division among the body of believers. We must be careful not to let that happen. I'm so thankful that God, for the most part, has shielded us from that here at Fellowship Baptist Church. He's been so good to us in that way to bring unity among the body. And, but, but listen, that can, that can change, can't it? That can change in a moment. So let's be careful to be checking ourselves and make sure that our lives are where they're supposed to be and that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing and having that love towards our brethren that God commands us to have to protect us and keep us unified together. We're going to finish up with this last one real quick. And this is, I heard somebody say, oh, we're going we're gonna to finish up with this last point real quick. This will only take us a few minutes, and I'll be able to finish this whole lesson today, which, is, which almost never happens. So that's pretty exciting. All right, so our fourth point 
today we're going to find in Colossians chapter 1, verse 5. For the hope, this is, this is the last thing that Paul gave thanks for. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, wherefore ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. So, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. The two great, the, these two great pillars of faith and love that we just discussed are built on this great foundation of our hope. This great foundation of our hope. This hope is a hope that God gives. It is the reason we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ in whatever he asks. It is this hope that drives Christians and has drove Christians through the centuries to limits that they never thought they could be drove to, to do things they never thought they could do, even so much as in to give their life for Christ because of this hope that they have to look forward to. This hope in heaven. Oftentimes we think of the word hope, when we think of the word hope, we think of, we think of it in the sense that we often use it in. And that would be the sense of, for example, somebody saying, let's say someone who plays the lottery says, wow, I really hope this ticket's a winner. You know, that person's hoping that that ticket's a winner. You know, a lot of times that hope is based on something that could possibly be true or could possibly be true or could possibly not be true. But that is not the hope that Paul is talking about here. And that is not the hope that we have laid up for us in heaven, right? The hope, the actual definition of hope, if I can, there it, oh, there it is. The actual definition of hope is feeling, is the feeling of an expectation. We as believers have a certain expectation of what we're going to receive when we get to heaven. And that expectation is founded on the promises of God in Scripture. And we can take confidence in those promises because God has a pretty good track record of keeping his promises, like everyone he's ever made. So our hope is based on those promises that God has always kept, those promises that, we, that, that, that what we have to look forward to in heaven, that is our hope. And I have just a few, I just have a list of a couple things here of what we have to look forward to, what our hope is in, and we will be done. Eternal life spent in the presence of the glory of God and our Savior. That is our hope. The mansions that he has gone to prepare for us. That is our hope. The rewards of crowns that he will give us for being faithful here on earth. Those crowns and those rewards that God will give us. That is our hope. A brand new perfect body, praise the Lord, that will never again experience pain, or sorrow. Never again sin. A brand new perfect body. That is our hope. Perfect and total peace amongst everyone and everything. The Bible says the lion shall lie down with the lamb. Beauty and splendor like we've never experienced. A crystal river that flows from the throne of God. The tree of life that bears 12 different fruit. There will be no more night in heaven because the glory of God will light eternity forever. Praise the Lord. No more night in heaven. These are just a few of the things that we have hope in as believers. These are just a few of the hopes that we have set forth for us in heaven. These are what we hope on. This is what Paul was giving thanks for, is that hope. And I give thanks for that hope as well. So today, the things that we covered, the points that we covered are our greatest desire is peace. Praying always faith in Christ and love to all saints, and what is our hope? I trust this was a blessing to you today. Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. 
You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.